This is Friends Who Talk About Money from John Hancock, a show where we take on the money taboo and celebrate the power of financial conversations in all their honest, awkward, and inspirational glory. I'm your host, Claire Wasserman, writer, career coach, and financial advocate. Cultural and generational differences often influence how much parents and their adult children talk about money. It can be hard to find middle ground between generations, but once you get past the hump, you might wonder why you didn't do it sooner. On today's episode, Dee Dee and Ornella, a mother-daughter duo, dive into their past, present, and future conversations about money. Sneak peek, money wasn't discussed in their household until very recently. Then we're inviting financial psychologist, Dr. Brad Klontz, to uncover how our money mindsets can impact the financial decisions we make and the conversations we have. Time to talk money. Hi, Ornella and Didi. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having us. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So my name is Ornella. I am a financial trainer at the Financial Gym and also budding entrepreneur in my own right. I was born in Togo, West Africa, and now living in Newark, New Jersey. My mom's here, Didi. (laughs) My name is Didi. I'm from West Africa, Togo. And I'm on new work now. I have two kids, one boy, one girl. The first one is Onela, and now the second one, so her name is Elvis. My husband came here, and uh, he let us come to this country, the lovely country. We are happy here. My first job, I started working some in the company Whole Food. I quit to come and open the restaurant. Hey, we work together with the family. My husband and my kid, two kids, we are together working in the business. When you were growing up, Didi, did, did your parents ever talk about money with you? Uh, I'm just curious to learn more about your culture and, you know, if that's impacted your, your willingness to talk about money with, with your children. My mom, my mom was doing business in the back home. The time I was in elementary school, he take me to the market. He taught me about the money, how to sell, how to have the profit, a profit, how to do this. My first job, they pay me is like a sixty dollars a month. Sixty dollars a month. After they pay me, I collect that money. I quit the job. I take that money to buy small small thing to follow my mom. From there, I put myself in the business is the market. Always I go to market with mom, I buy, I sell, I buy, I sell until I say, no, I'm not going to work for nobody. Always told me, oh, you have to save money if you want to buy something before you have to save money like a house. You have to save money to buy your house. You have to save money to do this. I say, wow, that's good. Ornella, do you, do you have memories of growing up and did your parents talk about money with you? So I was born in Togo and I moved here when I was three. So not many memories of Africa and being there, but the discussions about money, I feel like really they didn't start until I got a little older, but I always saw her at the restaurant and I always saw her working hard. And I think that's kind of where like my natural inclination to learn about money came from. So I kind of did it on my own. Like I did John Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, like all of those programs and took the courses to help me be more financially literate. And it wasn't until I really got older and I was more aware of like myself, my finances and everything that like we started having more 
candid and open, honest conversations about like money and savings and and things like that. Is there a particular memory that stands out for you? Yeah. So I know for me, when I first came to America, it was one adjusting to um, the way of American society and everything. And I only spoke French when I first came. And now I can't speak French at all, which is like a, a really weird thing, but I only spoke French. But I knew that there was this one toy that I wanted so bad. And I think it was like a Barbie doll or something. And my mom always said like, okay, well, you have to save for it because they weren't going to buy it for me initially. So it was just me saving all of the little dollars and, and cents that I get. And this was back in 19... 19- 99 or like 2000 or something. So it's me saving those dollars. And eventually I saved up however much it was to get the the Barbie doll. But it was a very relieving and like good accomplishment because I'm like, oh, I was able to do this for myself. <laughs> so it was good. Okay. So I know growing up, Ornella, you, you watched your parents work in the restaurant. It, it sounded like you also helped out there. And that's what you do now that you opened your own restaurant. So Talk to me about the restaurant you run, Orla, and then I'm also curious to hear more from Didi about uh, the restaurant that that she has. Yes. So my restaurant really was a a build off of her spot. So her place has been open for over 10 years now, and she serves African food. What I wanted to do was take African food to another level. So that was my goal um, for my restaurant, Mazizi, in Newark. And I took her food and elevated the concept in the sense that I did a lot of like events. So we would have like social events. I would teach about African cuisine and teach about like the African culture, what each ingredient means and um, how the people use it to cultivate the food, as well as like just sipping paints and other kinds of social things to get people out and really just feel comfortable being in a space surrounded by Africans and friends of the diaspora. My my is uh, different. It's a French name, Montberger, and uh, it's a buffet. I put like a buffet, African buffet. Hers was more fast service or like quick, fast, casual. And for me, it was um, more of like a, an experience. Mm-hmm. So, Ornella, when you were starting your business, did you did you ask your mom for for money advice? I did. I did. And so I kind of went against what she told me to do anyway. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Tell me, tell me more. So when we were opening and we were looking for a spot, we had found a spot that was a turnkey restaurant. So you literally like the stove, the hood, all of it was there. So really all we had to do was like some small cosmetic work and then we could have been up and running. She told me to not invest a lot in it. She said like, okay, you can just do some paint and like really, really light cosmetic kind of work um, in order to just get it up and running, test the idea out, see how it goes, and then do like your dream restaurant and invest in it the way that you want it. For me, as the, I guess, overachiever that I am, I'm like, no, I'm going to go full throttle. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm going to do this, I need to put all my heart and all my money and everything into it to make it my vision. And she's like, I I don't know if you want to do that. I said, no, I'm going to do it. So I took out um, a personal loan and that, you know, that's something we can discuss as well. Like personal loans in that kind of um, realm of financing is not something that 
she did to start her business. So that was already something very different from how she started and how she maintains her business. Do you find that you both approach money differently? I think so. Definitely think so. I'm more like we both save. We both have the base groundwork of saving and doing the things in order to make money work for us. But for me, I think I have more access to different financial instruments. So like I am more aware of like how to use debt in order to get me to where I want to be, or I will spend more money than she will naturally. She lives more on the frugal side. (laughs) No, because it's not good to spend money too much. You have to save because my mom taught me, say you have to do the saving to have saving. If you have more saving, you'll be happy. Anything can happen. If you seek or something happy, you know that you have money. Honestly, the restaurant situation was a bit um, conflicting for us. Can't lie. Like there was a point in time that I wasn't talking to her (laughs) as much because I just like, you know, when you're so set on doing something the way that you want to, you don't want to hear other people's opinions. So like the whole time that I was opening, that I had my restaurant, I really only had her like come in and help with the cooking. And then I'm like, okay, you can leave now. (laughs) Because you don't, you don't want to listen to me. I said, no, you are the beginning. You don't have more experience in the business. Listen to me and uh, you will get the experience. But she said, no, I want to do my way. I want to do this way. Your opinion is not my opinion. I said, okay. Didi, what have you learned from your daughter? Oh, <laughs> I learned something. <laughs> How to handle money in this country because... The way we I handle money, my own is a work hard, save money and do something. But she said, no, it's not that way. You have to have money and save and put to the bank. So she's saying that what really most thing I taught her is how to operate finances in America, because the way that she processes money is very much so like back in Africa and Africa, Africa's money system is really ruled around cash. But in America, the things that are important are like your credit, paying your taxes and saving. So that's kind of the things that I've taught her um, in this short amount of time, really, in like the past couple of months. How have you both taken financial risk and has that changed the way that you look at money? To open the restaurant is a risk because you don't know you're going to have more customer or not. All the money, all the effort you put inside, you don't know you're going to get that, that back. Because at the beginning, I saved a lot of money. I saved money to put in the restaurant. It's very, very risky. It's a risk. Yeah. And for me, I would say it's the, the same kind of risk, right? Like me opening, me deciding to open the restaurant that was my credit that I essentially put on the line. And I surely do have all the debt today to show for it. So that's there. And I, my savings, you know, years worth of savings kind of went into this project. And absolutely, if it was not for COVID, I think we'd be having like a very, very different conversation. But for me, I decided to ultimately close because we were so new. Yeah, yeah. And, and so after COVID hit, how, how long did it take you to make that decision? So COVID hit really like March and we closed down temporarily 
at the end of March. And then throughout April, we did like staggered openings and we would take like pre-orders and then prepare on the weekends. In about May, I made the final decision like, okay, I have to close. And the hardest part, it wasn't like I had already made the decision, but I had to convince my mom that it was okay to close. Because she's like, no, you can't close. You have to keep doing this. I'm like, no, I can't keep doing this. So that was a, a very interesting and hard conversation to have with her as well. The time she came and told me she had to close the restaurant, I said, no, you can't do that. Because all the money you put inside, I say, I will help you do whatever you want to, you want, I can come and help you. We can continue open the restaurant. It was difficult for me, but I can't stop her. So it sounded like when we started speaking in the beginning that, um, Didi, that your husband, he's part of your restaurant, correct? Yeah. Does he talk about money, um, you know, with, with Ornella sort of what, what's his relationship with money and, and the conversation with, with both of you? Um, and Ornella, maybe maybe we can start with you. Do you do you have memories of your dad talking to you about money? Yeah, no, <laughs> there weren't any. So he's very much so, and I think it's a part of African culture, especially for African males. They don't talk about money. They like to kind of keep it within themselves. And that's as much as I remember. So like, even if they're having any kind of challenge, they would never let you know. They'd kind of just work to figure it out on the back end. And I've seen this for even a, like a lot of my African friends, like it's a very similar situation. If their fathers are struggling, they will never show it, which is good to an extent. Well, not even good. I feel like you should be transparent, but I see that sometimes that, you know, they kind of just work through it. But when it becomes a challenge is when they can't actually manage all of the, the things on the back end and then you know, we are not aware of it, so we can't do anything about it. And that's ultimately what even prompted my mom and I to start talking about money more often and start talking about and having this conversation um, more regularly is because, you know, there were some financial troubles on the back end that I never knew about and that were never communicated with me. So, you know, once she started sharing more with me, that's when I took action and was able to help out. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Um, how, how old were you and what were those conversations like? So I've always been in finance. Like I've graduated with a degree in finance and I've always been working on like money things, but I started more actively doing their bookkeeping and their expense management, say like two years ago. And that's when I started realizing like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Like, what are the, what are the numbers looking like? How's everything going? And I started to ask more and I pressed more. And that's when I really found out like, okay, this isn't as profitable as we'd like it to be. And there would be some times where like things are missed and, um, you know, just we weren't making as much money as we would ultimately like. So that's when I kind of got more involved. I took over a lot of the things, like all things financial for the business now I handle. So like paying rent, paying people, um, doing our bookkeeping, making sure our taxes and everything are done. Like I handle that. And, you know, the conversation just had to happen with my mom where she had to give me free reign on that because for a while she did leave that to my father and he didn't ask for help when he needed. But as he did start to open up and um, let me help, we've definitely kind of like navigated through that situation. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask what, what were those conversations like with your dad? 
they were painful. <laughs> he did not want to. He really, really did not want to at all. And my mom's laughing because she was there. <laughs> and for a while, we're like, you kind of have to let it go. And it, was, it would even be sometimes we're arguing over like passwords or account passwords. And it, it was a pride thing. And I don't blame him for that. And I'm not mad at him about it. I just understand like for a lot of African men, they are designed naturally to be the provider and their main goal is to provide and make sure that everything is okay. Talking about finances moving forward, uh, how do you want, how do you foresee having those conversations, especially Ornella, since you, you know, for right now, your, your restaurant's on pause looking ahead. What do you think those conversations will be with, with your family? Yeah, so with, us, I'm just going to continue to be as transparent and as open as possible, right? Like if I can't pay a bill for whatever reason, I'm just going to have the conversation in, you know, at the 15th when I can't pay the bill as opposed to on the 29th when the bill is going to be due in two days. So it's just continuing to have those conversations. Thankfully, we've been in an okay position now where like the restaurants, her restaurant is picking up again so we can have more constructive and like planning conversations as opposed to the reacting <laughs> to bad things happening conversation. Um, but like even an uh, interesting part of it, like my mom, she's going to Africa for the next four months. So it's going to be the three of us, my um, my brother, myself and my father kind of like managing and navigating the restaurant. So now we're in planning mode and kind of like having to figure out, okay, who's going to do what, who's going to, to do, you know, different things. I'm curious when, when you opened your restaurant, did, did it kind of make you and your mom talk more about money? Yeah, definitely. Cause I was always broke. So I feel like more conversations about money when you don't have any, because you got to have to figure out like, okay, how am I going to make ends meet for, for this month? But a lot of it from her was just counseling and her kind of trying to teach me like, okay, this is how much you should be paying for these groceries. This is how much you should be um, paying for like this vendor and like employee management and all those things. Cause I had to learn it from her. Right. Mm -hmm. You would say. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you guys had a, a moment there where you weren't really connecting and, you know, a little bit of a, I don't want to say a rift, but there was a time where talking about money didn't sound like you were on the same page and it was a bit difficult. What was the catalyst for starting to discuss it again? Yeah, what what changed, if anything, um, that was a turning point in, in now you coming back together and, and having those conversations? I started getting more open to hearing her advice. And I'm sure it probably came for the, from the fact that like I just didn't know what I was doing. Like I knew enough and I had enough like restaurant well, not even restaurant experience, but just enough finance experience. And that's one advice that I would say for business owners as well. And entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs know how to do their craft, but it's having the financial savvy and having the, the operations aspect of it that, that sometimes is where people fall short. In my case, I have a lot of the operations and I have a lot of the financial savvy, but the actual action of running a restaurant was not what I had. 
And that's where she had, and she, you know, very clearly has proven to have done it for over 10 years. So I realized that and I started reaching out to her more and, you know, we just started talking about it more and I would get more and more of her advice. And that's kind of when we started to, to reconnect around it. Do you have advice for other parent child duos to sort of get over the barrier of, of talking about money with each other? It's good to the parents to talk to them kids about, about the money to give them the advice, advice and the knowledge for the money because money is a uh, very important things in uh, in our life. Ornella, do you have any advice for parents and, and how they can approach those money conversations with their kids? Yes. So for parents to approach the conversation, it really just starts with you being open because children want to, people want to know that you're being honest and open with them about it. So, you know, if you start having the conversation like, okay, this is what we're going through and we want to share our position with you. I think that'll be a good way to start the conversation and also starting early. So, you know, very small money principles, like when they're young, you give them allowance money, like the $2 I got, say you should be saving 50 cents of that $2 or whatever the case is so that you start those habits early. And it's something that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. Cause I definitely think her, saving habits have stuck with me forever sometimes to a fault because like I won't spend money on myself because I hear her in the back of my mind telling me to save (laughs) but but start those conversations early and just you know be also open to listening to your children that's important as well because parents sometimes have that you know thing of I know it And not to say that she always came across as she knew it, but she was imparting her wisdom on me. And it took a while for us uh, for us to come to the agreement that we're sharing information with each other. If you were to open a restaurant together, what would you call it? She wanted me to name my restaurant Montberger. What did you say, Montberger (laughs) Two? So that was also another argument that we had. She's like, you have to name it Montberger 2. I'm like, I'm not naming it Montberger 2. So that was, and I actually named mine Mazizi because Mazizi means roots in Swahili. So, you know, it was a place that I wanted people to come and like find their roots and trace a lot of their roots back to Africa. So that's why I named it Mazizi. But she's like, no, you have to name it Montberger 2. What does Montberger mean? What's the, what's the translation? It's a French name uh, that means uh, law is my shepherd. So the Lord is my shepherd in the, uh, what is it, Psalm, Psalm 23. Yeah, Psalm 23. I really loved hearing from both of you. You made me want to bring my mom on this podcast. Uh, and you also, um, you successfully made me very hungry. So Ornella, Didi, very appreciative that you were on here. Thank you so much and and best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to have Dr. Brad Klontz on as today's expert guest. Dr. Brad is a certified financial planner, financial psychology professor, and founder of the Financial Psychology Institute. Thanks for being here, Brad. My pleasure, Claire. Okay, so there's a lot of financial psychology in your title. What exactly (laughs) is the study of financial psychology? 
Well, I, I think in a nutshell, it's trying to figure out why we're all so crazy when it comes to money. And, um, you know, we, we know what we should be doing. Like most Americans know what they should be doing. We should be saving for the future, not spending more than we make. But the average American happens to be in terrible financial shape because of those two issues. And so what we're discovering is it's not so much about a, f- a lack of financial literacy, which, which, by the way, is really important. It's really important to be financially literate. But so much of what's going on in our relationship with money is at the level of our psychology, our upbringing, the beliefs we have about money, how money was handled in our family. And so in essence, that's that's really what I do is I, I study those aspects of money. Okay. So imagine, you know, we've got parents who don't want to talk about money. I mean, I think a great example with Ornella and, and Didi was that um, Ornella's father doesn't really talk about money. And I think she commented that it was sort of sense of pride and it was cultural so if you're the child of, of a parent like that, how, how do you bring up money? How do you start that conversation with them? It is challenging because, you know, in our culture, money is a taboo topic. It really is. People feel shame about having too little. They feel embarrassed about having too much. And um, we don't really know how to talk about it. And what's so interesting, talking about cultures, like the culture in the United States 50 years ago, you didn't really need to worry about money. So, you know, in my grandfather's generation, it's you had the promise of Social Security. A lot of jobs had pensions. The thought was that you're going to be at this job your entire life. And then when you retire, you're going to get a pension and your spouse will get a pension. And you don't really need to worry about it. As a matter of fact, he didn't even have to worry about credit card debt because he couldn't get credit if he wanted it. So I I feel like even culturally in the United States, we've had a dramatic shift. And we're all trying to essentially acculturate, try to figure out how do I thrive in this new world around money? So what could Ornella have done, you know, knowing that her dad is resistant to talking about money, you know, both both for her and, and maybe for Didi? How, how do you just start the conversation, literally? Like, what's the first part of that conversation you have, you know, to sort of urge the opening of a dialogue around money? But I think an easier way to enter into it is to um, just ask them, like, what it was like for them growing up around money. What did they learn about money? Um, just with trying to understand your own relationship with money or having them educate you. Because parents are very often in that position where they can ease into a conversation much um, more organically if you're asking them for their advice or their thoughts versus um, feeling like you're putting them on the spot. I love that. And I think the more information that you can get from them, the more it can inform you um, in how maybe you approach the conversation moving forward, right? Because it gives you context. But let's say you don't talk about money. How does that impact you? How does it impact your saving or spending or, you know, just your general approach to money? You know, in our research, we call beliefs around money, money scripts. And so we've done a bunch of studies on these things. And essentially, money scripts are these beliefs we have about money. We very often learn them early on in our life. And that's the important part. So we learn these as children. So we're learning beliefs around money based on our experiences. And so one of the problems with not talking about money is that kids can leave that experience of childhood believing that it's dangerous or it's not important or it's such a topic of high conflict, you don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Since we talked about how this this all starts way, way back, right? Not just with our parents, but their parents and their parents' parents. So how can we begin to examine um, sort of the, the generational family relationship to money, you know, maybe starting with their parents, but but going even farther beyond them? 
Well, I loved in the conversation with Ornella and Didi that we got to hear about Didi and what it was like for her growing up around money and what her parents taught her. And I think the most fabulous hack, if you really want to understand your own financial psychology, is to do exactly what Ornella did. Um, and this is what I did when I got interested in financial psychology, essentially trying to figure out why I did dumb things around money, um, is I, I went back and I interviewed my mother. I sat down with her and I said, what was it like for you growing up around money, mom? Like, what was it like for grandma and grandpa? And I, I got to tell you, Claire, I heard stories in that moment that I had never heard my entire life that totally made my relationship with money all of a sudden made total sense. And, and frankly, it just reduced my level of shame or, and embarrassment around mistakes I had made. Because I realized, coming from where they came from, growing up where I grew up, of course I would have these beliefs around money. All of a sudden, now I'm like, oh my gosh, no wonder my mom is so anxious around money and um, is, is a saver and it always feels like there's not enough money. And then, of course, no wonder I came along and I'm like, look, I don't want to be poor like my family, so I'm going to do the opposite. And so I took like dramatic risks with my money. So a lot of the work I do is to answer your question, if your parents are alive, if you have family members you could talk about interview them, ask them what it was like for them growing up around money. How did they feel about their socioeconomic status? Did they have any like dramatic or traumatic events around money? There's pure gold there in terms of um, updating and, and optimizing your relationship with money. Okay. So, so you mentioned the word shame, which I think a lot of us have around money. So how do you work through that? Yeah. The problem with shame, it, it's sort of like an emotional glue trap. It keeps you stuck, keeps you mired down. It's one of the reasons why many of us uh, don't have the courage or the strength to actually face money and our situation. And this is a really common thing. Like one out of three Americans admit to what we call financial denial, where they're like, I don't even want to think about my financial situation because it's so stressful. I think the biggest thing that I think helps with shame is, is a couple things. Like one, and I said it at the start here, sort of chuckling, hey, look, we're all crazy when it comes to money. So just sort of um, engaging in the idea that humanity is just wired to do this all wrong. I, I feel like that that actually lowers the shame a little bit. Like, of course, of course, you, you want to sell when the market's down because you're panicking and you want to buy where it's high. This is your animal brain just doing its thing. Okay, so now for some practical advice for I'm sure many parents listening who perhaps haven't started talking to their kids around money. How do they start those conversations? I think allowance is a great way to actually start talking to your kids about money. And for my children, what we do is we, we thought about like what's important to us, right? And so what do we want to do with money? So from, for us, it's important to spend some money, like to enjoy your life, enhance your life. It's important to save some money. It's important to give some money away and it's important to invest some money for the future. And so essentially when my son gets his allowance, we divide that allowance up into those four buckets and it provides us an opportunity to talk about each one. Thank you so much, Dr. Brad, for being here and, and for sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thank you, Claire. My pleasure. Thank you to today's guests, Ornella and Didi, for sharing their culture, love for food, and of course, money story. And a big thanks to Dr. Brad for giving us a lesson in financial psychology. Next up, a mom and mom-to-be who have been friends for over a decade, and now they're having their very first money talk. They're talking baby budgets and how to plan for a growing family. Talk soon. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers at the time of recording and are subject to change as market and other conditions warrant. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor shall it be interpreted or construed as, a recommendation or providing advice, impartial or otherwise, regarding any specific product or security. Unless otherwise noted, the speakers are not affiliated with John Hancock and they may have been compensated for their time.